Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year! That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. I have a client that I call every day at four o'clock because he said that's his witching hour. And that's when he is like programmed in his mind to start drinking. And so we talk every day for two minutes at four o'clock to just sort of reframe the thinking at that time. So it's like, it's just repetition and practicing new, healthier coping strategies. Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, here we are at episode 140, in which I interview Jennifer Salzman. When Jennifer was diagnosed with adult ADHD in her 40s, she realized that she had spent more than 20 years self-medicating her symptoms with alcohol. Drinking was the easiest and fastest way for her to shut off the constant chatter in her brain. She also discovered that alcohol abuse among people with ADHD is much more common than it is in people without the condition. Jennifer now coaches others to help them find freedom from alcohol, gain a new outlook on life, and improve their relationship with themselves and their neurodivergent brains. Jennifer and I talk all about our own experiences with alcohol abuse over the years, and we talk about the link between ADHD and substance abuse, the dangers of mixing alcohol with stimulant medications, why AA isn't necessarily always neurodivergent friendly, and some of the ways we can develop healthier coping mechanisms for managing ADHD. Without further ado, here is my interview with Jennifer. Thank you for joining me, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, well, let's get started. I really want to hear about your diagnosis story. How long ago was it? You were 41. What was happening that you started to put two and two together and think, okay, this should, I should really look into this? So I was diagnosed in 2014, and there was no two and two putting together. I didn't know what ADHD was. I had no curiosity about it. I was actually seeing a psychiatrist who was treating me for depression. And in our sessions, I kept talking about my ADHD symptoms, not knowing that that's what it was. I couldn't focus. I couldn't get my work done. I was so emotionally triggered. I was anxious 24-7. I couldn't sleep. I mean, you name it. I went through 
And he's the one that suggested it to me. And he said, have you ever been assessed for ADHD? And then I was actually offended. I said, great, another mental health issue now that I need to deal with. And, you know, so he gave me the formal assessment and I'm off the charts, ADHD. And that's how it happened. So on one hand, it was kind of an aha moment where I said, oh, there's an explanation for all of this stuff that I've been struggling with for my entire life. And on the other hand, I was like, now what am I supposed to do? So that's sort of how it started. And there was no treatment plan. That's another thing. Like he just basically said, you have ADHD. Here's a prescription for Adderall. Come back in three months and just kind of left me hanging. So that's how it started. Right. It's so funny. I I was totally offended when my therapist brought it up with me, too, because I was like, what do you think of me? Right. Uh, that you would think, because I had such misconceptions about what it was. I had no idea, right? So I was like, immediately thought of somebody who was a total mess, which I mean, I guess in some ways I was, but in many ways I wasn't, right? And so I think, yeah. And that idea that like getting medication, that it's going to fix everything, I think is a real detriment for many of us. Oh, yeah. But still pretty impressive that a clinician in 2014 would have recognized that in you. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So, you know, saying that you're a mess, I mean, I was such a professional masker that I was a mess internally. I was a mess, but it didn't appear that way. In fact, people have often still say to me, like, you're so calm. And I'm thinking, I'm so calm. Like that is, I do not feel calm in the least. So it's, it's just funny how we're able to mask these symptoms just to fit into this neurotypical world that we feel like we're supposed to behave in certain ways. And then once you realize like you have ADHD, you you understand that, oh, I am a little bit different. There's a reason why I feel a little bit different because I am. Yeah. Right. And I think that was, a, you know, another tip off to my therapist who thankfully knew about ADHD. She herself was diagnosed, so she knew about it. But, you know, one of the themes that I always had when I was talking to my therapist was like, I would constantly complain about what like a lazy piece of shit I was. And she was like, what are you talking about? You've written a book. You've started like three businesses since we've been meeting together, right? Like she was always sort of listing all of these accomplishments to the contrary. And I think it was the conflict between who you are to other people versus who you are to yourself and how that divide between those two um, personalities is so great that it should should be a tip off to <laughs> clinicians. Exactly. Exactly. One of the questions that you had asked me is like some, one of the things that I love about my ADHD and the fact that we're able, we're so smart and we're able to do so many things it's not a lack of focus. It's like we pay too much attention to everything. I know, right? It's 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 all about regulation, but that's not in the name. So now when you were diagnosed, going over your life with this new lens um, can be so overwhelming. What were some of the things that you looked back at over your life where you were like, oh, the signs were clearly there all along? I mean, everything. <laughs> I think that I always felt... <laughs> Like I was different. Like I just, I never fit in and I didn't know why. I don't know if other people saw me that way, but I just, I always felt like I never quite fit in. 
I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know how to keep friends. I was pretty smart, but like I never could study or do my homework. Or, you know, in college, I remember I had a boyfriend in college who always used to laugh at me because I'd have a paper due that I knew about for months and months. And then like 48 hours before the paper is due, I'm doing pulling it all night or sitting at my little word processor. <laughs> And that ages me, but sitting at my little word processor, writing my, um, <laughs> my paper that I, I had two months to complete and I managed to get it done, but it was always like the urgency and the chaos and the last minute. And it's so easily triggered emotionally. And like growing up, I was always told that I'm so sensitive and, you know, I blow up so easily and just pretty much everything, every aspect of my personality, I realize now it was probably an ADHD trait. Right. You know, and that's one of the things that always bothers me when people say like, oh, everybody's diagnosing themselves based on a single TikTok video or a single Instagram video. And, and you know, all of these people would just think, oh, I forget my keys. And so I must have ADHD. And I'm like, I have yet to meet a single person who didn't go through their entire life of this inventory of all of these behaviors that they have struggled with seemingly unrelated to each other, as long as they can remember that are tied back to ADHD in this profound, overwhelming way. And it's like, I've, I have yet to meet a woman who was ADHD, who was diagnosed, who was like, oh, yeah, I just have like this one thing I relate to. It's connected to everything. Absolutely. It'll it just everything started to make sense for better or for worse. Everything started to make sense once I got that diagnosis. And I, I've said this before, like people who don't have ADHD, people who don't struggle with some of these things, they don't wonder about it. They don't think, oh, well, maybe I have ADHD. You know, they use, they say it in passing like, oh, that was so ADHD of me, but they don't like actually think about it the way we do. Yeah, good point. Good point. In fact, I think if somebody does comment in a flip way about how ADHD that was of me, that's a pretty good sign. Maybe they aren't dealing with a lot of the real side effects and shame and all of that. Okay, so I want to get pretty vulnerable with you for this episode because we're going to be talking about alcohol and alcohol abuse and ADHD, which is something I myself certainly have a long sorted history with. I know many of us do. I started binge drinking at the age of 14. And really, I felt like when I was diagnosed, it's explained so much about my relationship with just substance abuse in general, right? But, but how many of us use alcohol to self-medicate. So I'm curious, what was your, I guess, some of your history with alcohol or were you sober before you were diagnosed? What's the timeline there? No. So similar to your story, I mean, start, starting, I think I was 16 when I started drinking. And as I was saying before, like, as like always feeling kind of different and like I didn't fit in. And as soon as I discovered alcohol, it made me forget that stuff. You know, I felt like, oh, I, I can fit in. I can go to parties. I can talk to people. It, I didn't have like the constant negative chatter in my brain telling me I'm lazy, I'm crazy, I'm stupid, I'm weird, I'm all this stuff. And so that was like the magic elixir that stayed with me until my late 40s. I didn't realize what I was using it for until I stopped doing it. So I got my diagnosis before I stopped drinking. 
So, I mean, that caused so many other problems. Because like I said, when I got out of the doctor's office and he gave me this Adderall script and I was drinking pretty heavily, it was a very dangerous and explosive and chaotic combination that caused a lot of problems in my life, which then led to me having to address the alcohol issue, never putting the two together. I didn't realize that they were related in any way until I stopped drinking. And but looking back, I mean, yeah, I, I was self-medicating. And it just got to a point where, I mean, if you use alcohol long enough and enough of it, nobody is immune to becoming addicted to it. And it really had become too important in my life. And that's when I, I, I just woke up one day and I said, you know, I, I need to do something about this. And that's when I sort of went on this journey of learning more about my ADHD and discovered healthier ways to cope because I knew that alcohol was no longer going to be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I know when you were talking about the combination of alcohol and Adderall, I don't know much about that. It doesn't sound like it's very healthy, but do you, do you know anything official about mixing the two? Cause I know there, I've read a lot about like mixing cannabis and, and stimulants can be really problematic, but is there, do you know anything off the top of your head about alcohol or Adderall or what was your experience? So Adderall is a stimulant, alcohol is a depressant. And at least for me, I didn't feel the effects of the alcohol the same way I did when I wasn't taking Adderall. So I could drink a lot and I might've been behaving like I was drunk, but I didn't feel it. So until I was so many drinks in that I was out of my mind and passing out and, you know, it was like at a dangerous level, but you know, I would keep drinking because I didn't, I didn't feel drunk. So I'm like, ah, oh, I can have another one. So, you know, I'm not sure about the science behind it, other than the fact that I do believe that the Adderall sort of changes the effects of the alcohol. So you don't feel it. Mm, interesting. The two major reasons why I drank throughout my life uh, were were socializing, right? Like you were talking about, you know, it took away my social anxiety. It took away my overthinking in social situations. It was a social lubricant in a way that I think it is for a lot of neurodivergents who have difficulty, you know, in groups or in group settings or parties and stuff like that, right? So it's like it brought out the lampshade drunk in me <laughs> that I always appreciated. But then I feel like there was like also the ways in which I would use it to regulate at the end of the day, right? Like I would use alcohol to shut my brain down and quiet my racing thoughts, and which I feel like is a very different use in terms of self-medicating. I've been able to figure out ways to deal with the overwhelm at the end of the day and in terms of self-regulation, but I haven't figured out how to socialize without alcohol. <laughs> So I'm curious if like, what are the ways that you as a neurodivergent person have been able to, I don't know, have you been able to figure that out? Or do you just, you know, are you, you're less prone to putting yourself in those situations that bring a lot of anxiety or what? I need tips. Well, my lifestyle has changed. I mean, I don't go out to bars. I just don't, I don't enjoy it. And if I, if I'm meeting people, you know, I'll stay and after they've had their second drink, I'm out. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in, it's less about me being socially anxious and more about me not wanting to be around people that are having a lot of alcohol in their system because 
I just, they're not listening. They change and, you know, I make my appearance and I, I actually realize that I'm a lot less weird and, and, uh, socially anxious than I thought. I'm able to carry on a conversation and it's, it's, I think the alcohol made me weirder. It made me feel like I was less anxious, but it maybe because I'm a grown up now and I'm able to, to talk to people. I, I care much less about the way that I'm perceived than I used to. And I think, you know, in this journey of learning to unmask and to be my authentic self, I'm much less concerned about how I appear to others. And that's what's made some of the anxiety go away. I also do like, I don't know if you're familiar with tapping meditation, but like before I go anywhere or do anything where I'm going to be around other people, I tap. And that has been my saving grace. I mean, it calms my nervous system. And I just, you know, say to myself, like, everybody's socially awkward. And the alcohol never really helped. It just allowed me to forget. And it just dulled everything and numbed everything. And what I have noticed since I quit drinking is that because I'm no longer dulling my senses in that way, like not only was I dulling the, the anxiety and the stress, I was dulling the joy and the happiness. And so I think now I, I feel that joy and that happiness just just for being alive. I mean, it sounds corny, but just, you know, being in sort of awe of the world around me and realizing like there's so much to learn about other people. And so now I'll go with a plan. Like I have questions prepared that I can ask people and it takes a lot of that anxiety away, I think. And then I just leave if I'm uncomfortable and I'm okay with doing that also. Yeah. I don't know if it's diagnosis or like you said, it's just getting older, but in terms of like, we become better at boundaries and what we're willing and able to put up with too. So yeah, but the way I socialize has changed a lot. I was thinking about a wedding I went to last summer where I was the only wedding I went to all summer. And it was the first time I had been at a wedding since being sober. And because everybody was getting drunk around me and I didn't want to be around them and I didn't want to listen to them. I was just like, okay, I'm done here and left. And I felt there was some freedom in that to just be like, oh, I can just leave now in terms of those boundaries, but also feeling like, like I was getting away with something, right? <laughs> uh, but I think that there is, it's true, like you said, like, as we, as we get more comfortable in what we want, right? And, you know, um, in terms of boundaries, like, why am I here? Why don't I just leave? You know, it becomes a lot easier to make those choices for ourselves, And, and I do spend a lot more time at home with my family, um, especially since the, since lockdown, I think, a lot of us decided we wanted to socialize a lot less <laughs> after the pandemic because it was so it's so dysregulating to be out in those environments. Exactly. I, I mean, again, I, I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's not drinking anymore. I don't know what it is, but I I like hanging out at home. I enjoy it more sometimes than having to get up and go out and be social. And I work with clients who are trying to change the relationship with alcohol. And one of the things that I always, you know, advise them on is like, when you are going out, you must be prepared. You have to have an exit plan. You have to have a buddy to call if you're feeling uncomfortable. You know, you have to have a drink order prepared that is non-alcoholic so that, you know, it's never awkward. So as long as you're prepared when you're in these situations, you tend to be less anxious about it. 
Mm, yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's especially helpful when you ha- do have ADHD that, you know, the way in which many of us can get quickly overwhelmed in situations like that. So it's like, how can I take care of myself, right? Like, I think, I don't know about you, but like, if I'm going to a new restaurant, I have to look at the menu and their website, and I have to like, look where it is on a map. And like, you try to like, mitigate all of the overwhelm as much as possible by knowing all the things ahead of time. <laughs> Oh, oh, and then my other question before I want to ask you about your coaching, I'm curious, like, what, how have you been able to regulate yourself at the end of the day? Because that's another big one, I think, for a lot of us, which is, I just want to turn my brain off. Yeah. So I lived in New York City for many years, and I left because just living there was overstimulating. And it was also very triggering because that's where I did a lot of my drinking. So now I live like in the country, I live near the water. So for me, regardless of the weather, it can be, you know, I'm in upstate New York, it can be very cold or very hot. I take a walk on the water and I just sit and I look at the water. I live on a lake and five minutes of doing that completely transforms the way I feel without question. I mean, whenever I am feeling that overwhelm and I want to, I start to get almost violent. Like I want to do something that I would probably regret. (laughs) I take a walk outside and I look at the water and I have actually walking meditations that I listen to because it's hard, as you know, with ADHD to sit still and to meditate. And when a lot of people with ADHD hear that word, they get anxious just hearing the word meditation. So I do walking meditation. It's like a guided meditation. And they just tell you to pay attention to your feet and your legs and your body while you're moving. And it's 10 minutes and it never fails to change my mood, change the way I'm feeling. That's beautiful. I totally do the same thing. And I feel like there's been a lot of interesting information online about walking therapy and ADHD and trauma and just the the way in which walking does something similar to EMDR therapy where it's like it connect you know it kind of connects the right brain and the left brain in the same way that EMDR does and there's something about the visual stimuli and I think walking is like I think there's such a science to walking for ADHD it's not just raising your heartbeat and the exercise and all of that too like I think it really is even that like you said like that intentional one step at a time kind of moving forward there's so many benefits now the other thing is has your relationship with your phone changed at night too? Because that's another one I see a lot for like, how to how to get better sleep at night um, and wind down when you have ADHD. And it's like, spend an hour without your phone. And I can't, I don't know how to do that. Like, I really struggle with that. Is that something, do you have like a, a nighttime ritual or something that works for you? I struggle with it too. What I have started doing is putting my phone in another room where it's out of reach. And I realize how addicted I am to my phone because I've been doing that because I'll put it away. I get into bed. I said, no more phone for tonight. And as soon as I do that, I'm like, oh, you know, where's my phone? But it only lasts for 30 seconds. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, I can live without the phone. I've been looking at it for the last hour. I don't need, there's nothing on the phone that I need to look at right now. And, but it's definitely a struggle. And I related a lot to the alcohol, you know, where I would tell myself, I don't want to have a drink. And that cognitive uh, dissonance where I would pour myself a drink anyway. And 
even though I had just five minutes ago told myself I'm not going to do it. So it just takes practice. And, you know, we can train our neural pathways to do something different. So I put it away. I put a book next to my bed or an article that I've been wanting to read, and I'll do that instead. And it's made a big difference. I sleep a lot better because I could lay in bed for hours and not realize that I've been staring at my phone and it does, or wake up in the middle of the night. And instead of just letting myself fall back asleep, reaching for my phone at like three o'clock in the morning and looking at my phone and then I'm up for the rest of the night. And so I really had to make a concerted effort to do something about that because I, I do struggle with it too. But if it's out of reach, I am not getting out of bed to go get it as much as I feel like I want to look at it, I am not getting out of bed. No, that's a good point. All right. You've inspired me to just leave it in another room again. It's hard. It, it will be calling your name. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Right. Well, and I think, you know, you spoke to such an important part of an ADHD brain, which is the like, we have a tendency to rebel against things if we're doing them for our own good. Right. Like there is that demand avoidance part of us. That's like, don't tell me what to do. Right. So it's like, it, it's so tricky. You can't just do things because it's good for you. Like you have to really have many different nuanced layers in terms of the motivation to do something. And just being like, I've heard this is good for me is not going to be enough because the rebel inside of me is going to be like, well, no, screw you. I don't want to do what's good for me. Right. Exactly. <sighs> oh, ADHD. So much fun. So you work with clients on kind of breaking the cycle with alcohol, but I think you also do more of like mindset lifestyle coaching, right? Like what, what are some of the things you love working with, with your clients? So what I love about the fact, well, love the fact that ADHD, 25% of people who are struggling with substance abuse also have ADHD. Okay. Not that I love that, but it's got to be more than that. I'm just saying, but <laughs> well, it's, it probably is 25% diagnosed with ADHD. So it's probably much more than that. <laughs> yeah. But there are like mindfulness based relapse prevention practices. And there are mindfulness based mindfulness awareness practices for ADHD. And they're so similar. So I work with clients to really use this mindfulness practice because that's the way we retrain our brain. You know, I'm talking about this uh, mindful walking and tapping meditation and being present and aware of the fact that I've been looking at my phone for two hours straight and I must put it in the other room now and go to bed. Like, it's just being aware of your surroundings of your thoughts, not judging them, but so much of what we do is just automatic pilot, right? And we don't think about it and we struggle with impulse control. And so if you just take the time to pause and to understand like why you're doing the things you're doing, it, everything we do is to feel a certain way. And so how can we change the way we feel without negative unhealthy behaviors like drinking or doing drugs or overeating or whatever, whatever your drug of choice is, right? And it works whether or not you have ADHD, it's really helpful for people struggling with addiction. And whether or not you have addiction, it works really well 
for people with ADHD, but the combination of the two, it's like a double whammy. And it's really helpful in just reframing your beliefs about why you're doing these unhealthy behaviors in the first place. So you can choose something else. Oh my goodness. Right. That, I think that is very well said. Thank you. Oh, no, I wanted to get back on the name of Mighty Rebel. Where did, what's the significance of that name? Where did it come from? Well, you were just talking about it. Like we are rebels and I've always sort of seen myself as a rebel and somebody once described me as mighty. And I just thought I pictured like, a, remember Mighty Mouse, the cartoon superhero? I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you remember, but yeah, of course. I just pictured this like mighty rebel of me sort of um, rebelling. Cause honestly, I think that Choosing not to drink in our alcohol-saturated society is like the ultimate act of rebellion because you cannot leave your house without being bombarded with messages about how alcohol is so great and you need it for a healthy social life and it relaxes you and it, you need it to have fun and you need it to go on dates and you need it to celebrate and you need it for everything. So to choose not to drink is pretty rebellious. And then, you know, we... With ADHD, we are born rebels. I mean, we're cynical about society. We're, you know, fight against authority. We fight against the system. If, if we don't do it, you know, externally, we're certainly doing it internally, right? So I think that because I've always seen myself that way and because of my relationship with alcohol and having changed it, I just thought that that was the perfect name for my coaching practice. I love it. I knew there was going to be a good story behind that, but <laughs> I totally forgot about Mighty Mouse. He, that really does age us, right? I know. <laughs> I feel like he needs a renaissance. Uh, <laughs> cool. So getting back to the question, what, what, what are the things you love most about your ADHD? I think what I love most about it is the fact that when I am determined to do something and I am interested in it, there is nothing <laughs> that will stop me from doing it. And even though everything gets old after a while and we tend to lose interest in things, when I am interested in something, if you ask me to do it, it gets done. If I want to accomplish it, I will figure out a way. So we're really resourceful. And I think that's one of, one of the things I love about ADHD. Like when I finally was clear headed and there was no alcohol in my system and I wanted to learn all I could about the link between ADHD and substance abuse, like that became my mission in life. That's why I do what I do. Because if I had had this guidance 10 years ago or nine years ago when I was diagnosed, who knows how life would have been different. And I can't change the past and we're all on our journey and I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be now. But I realized there was such a need for this because once I started talking about my struggles with addiction and my ADHD on social media, there were millions of people who heard what I said and like would say, oh my gosh, I feel seen for the very first time. So that's why now I'm so passionate about this. And I just want people to know that like, there's another way to exist in this world. And yes, we do have challenges when we have ADHD, but they are manageable. And if you set your intention that you want to live differently and you want to have a healthier 
life and you want to have coping strategies that actually work and to help you achieve the goals that you want, there's a way to do it. Yeah, right. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. I think it's, you know, why so many of us turn to advocacy after our diagnosis, right? Which is because we sort of went through our lives with this feeling like we didn't quite fit, feeling very confused by a lot of these symptoms, like feeling very just in the dark. And the diagnosis is so much clarity. It's so much information that is so helpful in terms of our life and how we pick up and move on that then we, you know, we're just like, oh my goodness, people need to know this. Like, how can I help somebody I can't relive my own life over again, but if I could just save somebody from dealing with what I had to deal with, we just so desperately want to help others not experience life the way we experienced it, or at least lesser, right? That's exactly it. Yes, yes, totally. Now, I'm curious, did you go through AA at all? No, never. It was suggested to me to do that many times, but I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it because... Besides the religious piece of it, which I didn't really resonate with, if it helps people get sober and stay sober, I support it. But for me personally, surrendering to a substance and saying that like it controls me and blaming me as opposed to blaming the addictive substance that has been pushed on us since we are children and 
these marketers that are telling us, like I was saying before, it's like the most amazing thing that that we need in our lives. It's this magic elixir for every occasion. And if you have a problem with it, that's on you. I just, I could never wrap my head around that. So no, I never went to a 12-step meeting. I just, I knew I had a problem with alcohol for many years and I knew I had to do something. I wasn't sure what. And then I just kind of experienced spontaneous sobriety. I woke up one day after telling myself for years that enough is enough. One day something shifted and I said, today's the day. And then I actually joined a support group after that, after the alcohol was out of my life. It was, but it was, it wasn't a 12 step. It was just like a group coaching support online. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I I didn't do AA. I don't think I ever actually acknowledged that I was an alcoholic. I felt like I had a very complicated relationship with alcohol, but I was able to quit on my own. Um, and it was really it was during the pandemic during lockdown, because I wasn't going anywhere. And I just stopped we were my husband and I were ordering wine by the case. And it was at that time, because we had so much of it in the house, because we were ordering everything, right? We weren't going anywhere, that I was realizing I was drinking like multiple bottles in one night. And then I was like, I can't do this. So then I just was able to quit cold turkey because we weren't going anywhere. So I'm very great. I was very grateful for lockdown in that way. But I will say that I've worked with so many clients who went through AA because many, you know, so many of us um, did have, do have complicated relationships with alcohol or are alcoholics. But really, really, so many clients I've worked with had issues with exactly what you were talking about with AA, which is this idea that there were these fundamental, they're called defects of character, right? That there were these defects of character that we need to overcome and that it was up to us to overcome those defects of character, which really sort of speaks to that neurotypical mindset or, you know, where we struggle as neurodivergence, where it's like, you just have to try harder, right? Like you, there's something fundamentally wrong with you and you just need to try harder and that we aren't able to do that. And so then we beat up ourselves that there's something wrong with us. And it really kind of, I feel like there is something in that programming, uh, while it is, like you said, very successful for a lot of people, I think it is important to say, this is not necessarily very neurodivergent friendly <laughs> in terms of this like lack of curiosity about what's causing the behaviors, right? To just assume that there's an innate defect in character, I feel like is really damaging. And so I haven't personally gone through it, but I've worked with enough women who have come out of it and been like, yeah, now that I'm diagnosed, I realized that that program was not helpful for the way I think and who I am. Yeah. And the success rate isn't, it's low. So I mean, like, again, it works for some people. And so I'm supportive of it for those that it works for, but it just never resonated with me. And I think that instead of focusing on my character defects or whatever, and that I have some sort of disease that's just waiting for me to relapse, I decided as an individual that like alcohol was hurting more than it was helping. And if I wanted my life to be better, I had to do something about it. And so I did. But I do think that the the thing about AA that is the most important is like the mutual support. And like for me, you know, I went six months without drinking, but it was very lonely. And I felt a lot of shame about all the years that I was drinking too much. And to have somebody, a, a group of people really to talk to about it and to share your stories and to be able to be vulnerable releases a lot of that shame when you realize that you're not alone. 
That's a really good point. And I think that is something that is very important for us with neurodivergent thinking, which is the the validation and acknowledgement that often comes in group experiences that is so important for us to be like, there's nothing wrong with me. I am not the problem. You know, and I think it really dispels a lot of the shame too around these behaviors. So can you tell me a little bit more about your group coaching program? Yeah. So the program that I do right now, it's called Rebel Without a Drink. And it's mindfulness-based and it's a small group and we're able to share why we're drinking, were we self-medicating? And a lot of the clients that I work with aren't necessarily formally diagnosed, but they just know that they have ADHD and they've been struggling with this. But again, to just to be able to learn some of these mindfulness practices. And I have a client that I call every day at four o'clock because he said that's his witching hour. And that's when he is like programmed in his mind to start drinking. And so we talk every day for two minutes at four o'clock to just sort of reframe the thinking at that time. So it's like, it's just repetition and practicing new, healthier coping strategies, whether it's meditation, whether it's just a phone call, whether it's sharing stories, whether it's a, a reminder saying like, you know, go take a walk, whatever it is, having that mutual group support and being being able to laugh at ourselves and being able to just release that guilt, that shame, that blame is just so crucial in order to change our behavior. Because if we don't change, you know, our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our behavior. So we can change the behavior, we can put down the drink, but if we don't change the thoughts, the beliefs and the feelings that we have about it, it's really hard to stick to the behavior because willpower only lasts for so long. Mm, right. Yeah. Very good point. So now I'm curious if you could rename ADHD. Do you have you thought about what you might call it? I did. This was fun too. I had I spent some time thinking about this. Interest-based abundant attention condition. I don't like the word disorder. So interest-based abundant attention condition. <laughs> it's a mouthful, but I be a abundant wait abundant interest based I B A A C. Oh, okay. I like it. I'm always curious what the acronym is. Interest based is really good too. I think because one of my complaints when I when I think about trying to come up with a, a new name is like, what is a name that I would have related to before my diagnosis? Right? Because I felt like I wouldn't have related to anything that referenced executive dysfunction or even like regulation, right? Like those weren't terms that I was familiar with. And so I'm always trying to figure like, what is a term that's more accessible to people who don't know what they're even struggling with, right? Or haven't made, you know, connected those dots. For me, it was like, I just was, you know, especially when it comes to some of the stuff like alcoholism or or, you know, binge eating or some of the, like, the these chronic behaviors that many, many of us have that just make us feel like we're trash humans, for lack of a better word. <laughs> the interest-based piece, it's like, I again, I worked in a corporate job for many years and like, I, I just, I couldn't do the work, you know? My boss would ask me to do something, I couldn't do it unless I had even just the littlest bit of interest in it. And then I was like a rock star. So I realized like that's so, so much of my life has been dictated by, if I'm interested in it, I'm the best. And if I'm not interested in it, I, I can't do it at all. I won't do it. I don't know if I can't, but I won't. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Okay. So now how can people work with you and find you? What's your website and how can people reach out to you? So for one-on-one coaching, my website is called amightyrebel.com. And then for my group program, it's called the Rebel Reboot. And it's a six-week small group coaching program where we break that cycle of ADHD and alcohol. And it's Rebel Without a Drink. That's my handle for my social media on TikTok. TikTok, by the way, it's funny. I, I just started using TikTok about eight months ago. And I had no idea that there was such a huge ADHD neurodivergent community on there and such a huge sober community. And I have really found my people on TikTok, which, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm like, TikTok is for teenagers. You know what? What am I doing on TikTok? But it has been so therapeutic for me. And so many people have reached out to me that they resonate with my content. So Rebel Without a Drink on social media. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram. And all I talk about is ADHD and alcohol. I'll make sure to put your uh, TikTok link too in the show notes. Uh, I know, right? Well, with TikTok, it's funny because I feel like we are like moths to a flame with that app because of the shared experiences, right? The lived experience, these quick vignette videos, like there's everything about the platform that is so appealing to our brains. It makes total sense to me that everybody who loves that app is also neurodivergent and that we all found each other. And I think it's amazing. And it's, you know, it's funny because it's like, my teenage daughter, she's 16. And I think it's been a wonderful influence on her as a neurodivergent teenager. But at the same time, like we have to set limits because it's also, you know, it becomes a black hole for her attention. But I really like I really struggle with like, should she or shouldn't she because I think it's been so incredibly validating in terms of her mental health and knowing more about herself and who she is and coming up with like hacks for her executive dysfunction and all that. I just think it's such an amazing place. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, maybe you're on like hour four at this point. Maybe we need to like cut ourselves off. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a fine line. It's hard to balance, but it's, it's such a useful tool, especially as an adult. I don't have children, so I don't have to deal with that aspect of it. But I do, like I was saying before, like I catch myself sometimes an hour goes by. And even though it's been so informative, I need to like touch grass, as they say. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, well, thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been really great hearing your story. I was saying your group coaching looks incredible. You really get to some of the meat of ADHD just in terms of connecting a lot of those dots. So I feel like so many people must benefit from that and, and should check it out. So thank you so much for sharing your own story and your time today. Yes, thanks for having me, Katie. It's fun. There you have it. Thank you for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. 
or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself.